and welcome back to the Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Molly McEnany, and this week, as I'm walking up to the Alice Keck Park Memorial Garden in downtown Santa Barbara, I spot Spencer the gardener, sitting on the stonewall perimeter with nothing but his guitar. Spencer is one of the very active veterans of the local music scene, whose work infuses Santa Barbara's surf heritage with Latin rock and cumbia sounds. On the body of his guitar, which is covered in stickers, I spot a few honorable mentions. Latin rock band Los Lobos, KCRW Radio, and Siestas and Olas, which is a movie about a surfing journey through Mexico. I'd say these are all pretty representative of who Spencer is as a musician. As we walk through the shrubbery and up the steps to a big oak tree, Spencer asked me if I had ever been here before. I say no, I've never even heard of it, which is hard to believe since I lived here for nearly five years. Spencer says, neither have I, and I've lived here my whole life. That's the beauty of Santa Barbara, though, he continues. There's always something new to do. We somehow begin talking about music influences, and I mention that I hosted an Irish trad and punk rock radio show in my time at UCSB. Spencer asks, so you like the Pogues, then? I say, of course. I grew up listening to them. So when we finally find a spot to sit, Spencer breaks out into the Pogues' rendition of A Pair of Brown Eyes. Of course, I can't help but sing along. There was no pair of I had no idea how much the Pogues had influenced him while he was living in England. Spencer lived in London in the 80s while he was recording with his up-and-coming band The Tan and shares with me his on-the-verge-of-stardom story as well as his journey around the world and back to Santa Barbara. I mean, I loved living in London in a way. I mean, I'm a surfer from California, so it was fun to do something completely different. And mm-hmm. I grew up here, so we were, you know, like, Santa Barbara's boring. Well, it is kind of, but... It's also not. Yeah. And so, but at, at age 20, it was like, get me out of mm-hmm. here. So, you know, after being there for a little while, I was like, get me back. <laughs> it's the most active small town I've ever been in. Like, yeah. it gives small town vibe, but then you think how much there actually is to do between, like, the funk zone all the way up to, like, Sands, which is where we kind of spend a lot of our time. It's like surfing garage scene with for music like there's just always stuff going on there is and you know the other thing about Santa Barbara which is a strange part of it it's like a ski town with no snow it's like a surf scene with no waves it's I know it has everything it's like you can go to the bank the post office a concert lunch a book signing and then go I wonder what I'm gonna do tonight yeah and you don't have to drive to any one of those things Mm -hmm. So it's weird in that small town kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's funny because being from here, I have I did something in the Independent a long time ago, mm-hmm. but where, you know, it's it's a lot of people will come back into town and they go, oh, "You're still here," and when they first say it, it's not said in a like way that's like, "Good job." Yeah, it's like kind of like, "Huh, you're still here, huh?" Yeah, and by the end of the conversation, it's always the same. God, I wish I could find a way back. Yeah. And I'm just lucky because I'm from here. So I found ways out and just got to come back home. It pulls you back, yeah. You know, it's funny when you think of the California expansion because New York, yeah, and the whole immigrant thing and all that, but then there's a bunch of people that didn't stop. Mm -hmm. And that's who I'm related to. (laughs) (laughs) And if they could get further, I think they would have. It was just like, there's this big sea, now what do we do? Yeah. Guess we have to stop. 
That's great. So when did you go initially to England and when did you come back? I was there, uh, I was in South America in 84 and then uh, 85, 86, I was in England okay. and I came back here in 87. So it was a while ago. Okay. Uh, it was like right when the Pogues were really red hot. Yeah. Lucky. <laughs> and we loved the Pogues. So it was kind of like, that. I went there with a band called The Tan mm -hmm. that was from here. Okay. And we had record deals and we, it, a lot of things happened in that industry, especially during the 80s, where we had a record that came out, or that didn't come out. We were signed to a record label that then somebody got left out of the record deal mm -hmm. from the label and they quit and they went to another label and we just got lost in this thing. So we went to England to just kind of regroup and have fun and put out a record there, yeah. which we did. And we were, it was fun and it really was fun. It was more fun for a couple of us, but it was like we had also really gone far and it, it felt kind of like, our, we really want to start over here. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I was washing dishes yeah. and doing anything I could as an illegal alien, mm -hmm. which is funny too, you know, being in California and they, everyone talks about illegal aliens and you think, I lived in London and I was an illegal alien yeah. and I got all these jobs because people in England didn't want them. I mean, they weren't good jobs, yeah. but it was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll wash those dishes because I'm broke and I'm stuck. You do what you have to do to make it work. So for that record deal, when did you finally come up with, you know, so you moved back to Santa Barbara, come up with Spencer the Gardener? And well, I think I started doing that. I started writing some of those songs from when I was living in London. And just the whole, like the whole idea of the surfy guitar with the horns, with the yeah. Latin sort of thing. I don't, have, you, have you listened to any yeah. of this stuff? So I have always been influenced in that direction. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it just kind of coalesced while I was in England because we were also, we were, the tan, we were all good friends, but we were in the process of separating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was like thinking about the future. Although when I was in England, I got so sick of music because of journalism. <laughs> you know how Well, they, and here we are. <laughs> I know, it's funny. Well, you know how they would, I mean, like NME and all those things, which I doubt are as popular as they once were. Mm -hmm. But they would bring people up and then they would just chop them down. Tear them down, yeah. And and that was very, I mean, music in England is like pageantry, which is cool in one way. And it just gets tiresome in another. Mm -hmm. So when I came back here, I was like, I'm not going to do that for a while. And And I was working landscaping and I got hurt playing basketball and I couldn't work I couldn't do anything so after about a week I pulled out my four track and just wrote the whole Spencer the Gardener first album really fast wow. um, and then I had uh, called it that because I was thinking oh, I'm just going to give this away for Christmas presents and I'll use the money that I made landscaping to record the album but then when we played or when we were, did it everybody that was that was in the band so we should play some shows and we did, and it took off. Wow. And it took off, and it's taken off a couple of different times, enough to never show me the door, but never give me <laughs> enough. <laughs> I feel Which, like that's the liminal space for every artist where you absolutely. just... Absolutely. Yeah. It's this kind of, I mean, you know, it's funny. What I listen to when I listen to the radio in my car, I listen to Radio Bronco, mm -hmm. which I love just because I love that whole style of music. Mm -hmm. I listen to KCSB... 
when I find a show that I like that's on there. And there are yeah. some really good shows. Yeah. And it's cool that everybody... I love the fact that everyone has the opportunity to have their own show. Yeah. So the third thing that I listen to is KCRW in the morning. Mm-hmm. And morning Becomes Eclectic. Morning Becomes Eclectic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's gone through each separate change with the DJs. I think right now I like it the most. Yeah. Oh, and I don't know that much about KCRW. It was funny. That was the first place, first radio station that played us really? in the 90s. And the reason why this girl, Deirdre Donahue, was the doing all the new stuff. Yeah. And I was like, how come she calls and she's like, I'm going to play your song today. I was like, how come? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me why, please. And she said, I was moving a bunch of CDs and it fell out and I really liked the cover. And I was like, wow, that's it right there. That is a, a pretty good example of how hard it is to do anything. And Mm -hmm. now it's even right now in music, there's never been a better time to be on your own doing things with all that you can do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's never been a worse time to be in music <laughs> because of all the things that you can do and everybody else can do them too. Yeah. So you need your record to fall out. And Into have the a, lap like, of, and yeah. You, but um, it's funny because, you know, you hear a lot of things on that and you just look it up on YouTube because you're not ever going to hear it anywhere else. Or Isn't that crazy too? how vast YouTube, or even, you know, for for new artists who SoundCloud is becoming so big, it's like where they're completely avoiding these other streaming services that have become mainstream. It's almost this like... And why do you think that happens with SoundCloud? Because every band initially says they don't want to sell out. They all want to sell out. I mean, that's the way you're in a band because you'd like to sell out every show you yeah. do. That's um, like my whole thing with Radiohead. Like you always think Tom York never wanted to be famous, but you know that he really wanted totally. to be famous. But it was the image. That's what it is. It is. And, and it's always been an indie image. And the indie thing is way less than it's ever been right now. Like mm-hmm. it's the last bastion. But so it's, it's funny to listen to the radio in that context because I listen to Radio Bronco and I hear some Latin artists and I look him up on YouTube too. And they're like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And then... I, then I have put these bands by just watching this into my algorithm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you know Sudan Archives? Do you no. Know that is? It's, it's this black girl who's crazy good on like violin and just oh, start wow. playing at Soho at some point. But I heard a song on the radio, KCRW. I was like, wow, what is that? That's who it was. I looked it up and then I saw they were playing at Soho. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's so weird. I mean, that's the power of radio. Mm-hmm. But I also... Like, that's the power of the way that I listen to radio. Well, and the way that, in a way, these people on radio are music journalists. It's just a different kind of music journalism. It's like, I'm going to share with you artists that maybe you don't know about. It's more about education, and it's less about, like you said, building people up to tear them down. The Um, the critical aspect. That's back to where we started. Yeah, I guess. It was England. It was, I enjoyed the pageantry of music for a little while. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were doing funny things. Like, we bounced at this club. And I don't know why. It was just because we were illegal aliens, basically. We did, yep. So it was a couple of us. I mean, we were just, like, 23-year-old surfers like that were bouncing this club. And it was funny because it was this club what was super indie. And there was a band called Half Man, Half Biscuit, who was from Liverpool and said they would never play outside of Liverpool. And who else did we play with? Like, uh... The Jesus and Mary chain started there, and 
that petrol emotion. Mm. Uh, you probably have never heard of that petrol emotion. No. They were huge in London in the eighties. Really. Um, and you know, I mean, bands come and go, and it's funny as you get older and you just see all these things. When you're young, you're like, we're so new, and it's just like, yeah, you sound like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the Pogues did sound new to me because mm-hmm. it was something completely different, and they were taking it and making it into a different thing. Mm-hmm. But they didn't sound that way to everybody. Mm. Like, there's plenty of people that did not like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of music people didn't like them. Interesting. And every every band is like that. Yeah. You know? So, like, who do you listen to outside of Irish stuff? Outside of Irish stuff? I mean, I listen, you to, listen to, a lot to, of to things, so, so much music. Yeah. It's insane. Um, I mean, I see your Los Lobos sticker, and I'm like, I just saw. Well, Cougar, who played drums with us for years. Yeah. We took a break for a while, and he left and joined Los Lobos for oh, wow. 10 years. Yeah. So that's Cougar Estrada, yeah. who was in this band off and on forever. Yeah. And I have about 12 people that have been in this band oh, off yeah. and on forever. I mean, it's an interesting case study because it's kind of like music, a lot of art. There's sort of like a... Uh, a hope versus reality syndrome that exists. And mm-hmm. I think it's a big American thing too. Mm-hmm. And hope really wanes, reigns supreme. And so much is sold through hope. And like when you sit back and you go, the reality of this is, do I really want to do it? Because the hope is really not going to come into play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, and that's a yes, but it, it still might because that's what keeps it all going. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I had to kind of sort that out in my own head because the, the reality of it is like, it's hard to be in a band and it's hard to keep things going and it's hard to make them work. And we were on tour because you can't be an original band and live in one place. Mm-hmm. But I've started, you know, I've moved along with, in Spencer the Gardener, we also play at a lot of parties, a lot of stripped down like backyard parties. Yeah. And that you know, pays for a lot of things and keeps it going. Yeah. That kid record too was kind of just a lucky break for me. I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, I have. That's uh, Organic Gangster 1 and Volume 1 and 2, yeah. Yeah. I stumbled upon it, really. And and I never looked into, like, that whole, just the whole children's music thing because if I would have, I would never have done it. There's so much stuff. Everybody that you know, the Pogues probably have a kid's album. (laughs) I mean, everyone has one. Learning your first curse words with the Pogues. Something That's... like that. It's like drinking with shame. Drinking. <laughs> There's another thing about him, man. It's, a, it's an he's an amazing survivor. Yeah. I, when I, I saw him play in L.A. at the uh, I can't remember which theater it was. It was about ten years ago, mm. um, and it was a great show. But it started awful, <laughs> and like he was, you're like, wow. He's you gone. He's gonna make it, downhill. and then and then it's like he must have like gone back had the exact right amount of wine and he came out and he was fine and it was great and the show was great but it was like you know he's probably constantly at that moment in time was struggling with the perfect mixture yeah um to to be able to keep going yeah if you haven't heard of the pogues you have now and i think spencer and i would both agree that you should definitely check them out We talk about this a bit more in the episode, but around the time Spencer was making a name for himself, the music industry was much more closed off, and it took a lot of time, effort, and gigging to get your name out there. 
And for some who relished in the early days of rock, the constant touring and press did take a toll. But what's interesting about this era of music that Spencer began his career in is that there seems to be a new revival of those same music movements today. So I was curious to know what current artists Spencer thinks are taking the traditional sounds of rock and folk and are making them their own. Of course, like Lucinda Williams is one of my favorites. I like Lucinda Williams. I just think that she, again, with taking like the classic sound of country rock and folk, she still makes it her own. Like it's very she Lucinda. She makes it her own and she does every single song is the same. Yeah. And it's weird. It's, you know, one of my favorite bands is The Cure. Same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like. They just make everything their own. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've struggled in that I have such a wide variety. And I don't know, I wouldn't call that a good business model. You, yeah. But I like doing that. So, (laughs) I mean, I tend to do what I want to do. Well, look at other artists that have, look at Beck. I mean, Beck puts out like a rap. Beck is somebody that I, you know, I really like Beck. Mm -hmm. And you could see how I would. I would love to... uh, have somebody come in and mix one of our records like the Chemical Brothers mm-hmm. did, like with his first stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when um, Que On De Uero came out, that whole album, like where it was very much like infused with his upbringing in Los South Angeles. LA and all in that entire thing. I mean, was... like, I speak Spanish. Yeah, you know, exactly. And why do I speak Spanish? Well, because I live in California and because I went surfing in Mexico all the time. And... You so know, is that why you have that Latin that's one fusion reason. and why you're drawn to that? It's one reason. I mean, it's funny, like, I went to Santa Barbara High School, and in the Spanish class, we used to sing songs on Friday, which is really weird for a I did the high same thing class. in my high school. Did you? Spanish class, yeah. We would have song, and you get extra credit if you, like, <laughs> brought a new song to class. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, like, even looking back on it, like, I mean, I can, there's a song called No Tengo Dinero, which I learned at in high school. Mm-hmm. No tengo dinero, ni nada que dar. It's on Juanes' new album. Like, oh, he, really? When he goes back to all the classics. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, wow, that's really funny. Like, he probably, same thing. It's just like, he probably sang it in his high school class. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was such a weird thing to do in high school because it was gnarly enough if you would have been like, you know, 16 and had to go sing an English song. Like, you would have been like, uh, I'm not going to do that yeah. right now. So anyways, I mean, that's that's just one element of growing up in California. You know, if I was from Arkansas, that probably would not have happened. Yeah. With Beck, it's the same thing. Like he he was influenced by everywhere he grew up and I have been, too. Um, And bringing that into the music. Yeah. And I've always I have always listened. Plus, I dance salsa and and cumbia and all that. And so I've always been interested in it. So growing up in high school, like, when did you start playing? Did you play at, like, you know, small garage shows and IV when you were what? No, when I was in high school, I was learning how to play guitar. Okay. And it's funny, when I was a kid, you know, I never, (laughs) I never thought to myself, well, I'm going to be this, that, or the other. I thought, well, I'll play pro basketball. Hmm, I guess maybe, maybe pro baseball. I guess I'm going to be a volleyball player. I think it's surfing for me. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, music, of course. And it was like, that's that hope versus reality thing. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, I guess this is really hard. That never entered my mind. It was just like, I'm not going to (laughs) work. Yeah. And or not not that I'm not going to work because I've worked hard. But I'm not going to do something I don't want to do. 
Well, in music, it's a lot of work to not work. It's a lot of work to keep it's, it's, the momentum. It's an insane amount. And, you know, like, we spent about 10 to 15 years. Each class of UCSB that came in was like a Spencer the Gardener fan. Yeah. So it's like we we were regenerating things. And that, that was translated. I think the first time we played in San Francisco, it was sold out on a wow. Tuesday night. And... And the, the girls in the club were like, who are you guys? And I was like, who are the people that are coming to see us? It's like, what, how did we sell it out? Like, we have more questions. And like, you know, it's like, because there's such a big trade-off. And that was before the whole internet. So it was kind of like, it's, it's too bad. I mean, we used to like have mailing cards, like and a thousand mailing cards would go out. We toured around California so often that it got used, people were used to getting that. So you, you couldn't stop speaking of work you know yeah. so you're stamping 2,000 cards there's 500 go to Orange County 1,000 go to San Francisco yeah. and like without that you don't have the enough publicity that they know you're coming yeah. but anyway so San Francisco was a great town for us because we went from the paradise to the bottom of the hill mm -hmm. to Slims to Great American and it was just it that was the nicest succession that we had we haven't been up there for a long time, and mm -hmm. we couldn't do that now up there just because, well, it's like you were just saying, it's really hard to keep yourself current, and uh, however you put it, I can't remember exactly, but there's more work when you're not working mm -hmm. to make everything continue on. Mm -hmm. um, and we used to do that naturally, mm -hmm. and, and but after a certain age, it's sort of like, gets to a point where there's a lot of people that go, yeah, God, they're really energetic, but they're kind of like my dad's band or something. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> it stinks. I mean, you think about like, I don't know, that's something that a lot of people have said to me about like, you know, war on drugs. They're just like, they're another dad band. I like war like, on drugs. I do too. I have to, have you listened to the, you might realize the, the Chieftain's San Patricio album. It's a Latin Irish fusion <laughs> album. I have not. It is the most <laughs> insane thing I've ever listened to. I remember when it came out, I mean, it was right before Patty Maloney passed away, but it was like, I listened to it and I was like, how did they do this? Like, how did they fuse this together? Uh, that is cool. You know, the funny thing is, is besides Latin, which is a huge, huge mm -hmm. market, Mexico and Ireland are really similar in in uh, a lot of ways. And why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I mean, in a you know, in a weird way, like a, you know, the turn of the century, well, the last one, yeah. Irish was the immigrant that was like Mexico, you know, and it's I don't know. I mean, Ireland had a big bump in the last probably 20 years with the whole tech industry and mm -hmm. everything. And I think they just had a long-suffering time. And same with Mexico. Mexico is, there's a big middle class in Mexico that you don't notice or think about. Granted, there's any South American country, there's also a, a large, rich class. Yeah. And a thing. But Mexico has a, a little bit more, kind of like here in that way. It, I feel like Mexico, Ireland, and California have similarities in them. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I like those things. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely think that when you, I mean, it's not the first time that there's been like Irish Latin fusion music with like Ry Cooter and Buena Vista Social yeah, Club. And, and, and I like, love that. Yeah. And it's very, it's like a new take on what is traditional for both sounds, whether it's like Irish or 
Mexican traditional music. It does have that same, they have similar like chord progressions exactly to me. Like they have similar. Yeah, yeah. And it's very like strumming patterns are similar. It's a whole thing. So. Earlier when we discussed how Spencer the Gardener was kind of a happy accident, we didn't get to touch on the future of the band in Santa Barbara. So I asked Spencer, what's next for him? And what has surprised him the most as the music industry has shifted over the years? But you know what? I just started, like, not long ago playing um, a couple of shows solo. Mm -hmm. And after doing a few of them, I was like, okay, I get it. Because before I didn't really like it, nor did I like seeing anybody play acoustically. Like, Mm -hmm. because at the same time, I'm like, well... I don't like doing it, so why should anybody like seeing me do it? And yeah. why should I, you know? And But I just recently, like, went, oh, okay, this is how you do it. And it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it a little bit more. Yeah. I remember when I lived in England and I was completely broke. And it was before I had figured out the way of the illegal alien jobs and getting how easy it was. Mm-hmm. But I went out and I played. I was busking in the subway. And I felt like that's kind of what it's carried on forever. Like, I just feel like here's another guy with a guitar. He's about to play who will stop the rain and like, you know, hope that a quarter ends up somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think I was negatively influencing myself because there's a lot of really talented people that are playing just by themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think has been the biggest change i mean you've mentioned a couple things like you never thought you would do a children's album you never thought you would do this that and the other but what do you think is the biggest surprise to yourself that you've taken on i think that i'm still doing it one is a surprise (laughs) two that we still are popular in a you know if i lived everywhere it'd be a lot easier because i could work things out Mm -hmm. and like i mean i think if you look at a band like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, well, they all went to school in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Their dad was probably friends with some dad who's like, they went the right way they could go in Los Angeles, and that just happened to be pretty far. And, mm-hmm. and, and as wrong as it is, or as much as you've heard it your entire life, it really is about who you know. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you get a job at KCSB or whatever, it's just like, you got to know somebody and you got to talk to them and, and they got to like you and then they'll go, oh, okay. <laughs> You're hired. That's it. Exactly. But, uh, but what I mean by that is that I've been able to do that in Santa Barbara and it surprises me that we have managed to last. We're kind of like a dancey band, which makes yeah. it a lot easier because we're, maybe we're playing a bunch of original songs, but they're, you can dance to them all. Yeah. So that helps in a live perspective. And the change that's happened in music, which is that nobody really wants your CD. It doesn't matter who it is. And, you know, it's just like, I remember I noticed David Byrne played the bowl a couple of years ago and gave away his new record uh, on, online if you wanted it. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard it still. I like David <laughs> Byrne. I didn't go to the show, but I asked everybody, hey, how's is that new album? And every one of them was like, I haven't heard it. They love the show. Yeah. They haven't heard the record. Mm-hmm. He gave it to everyone. And it's like, wow, that is so weird. It's, it's interesting. Like the whole thing has just shifted so much that it's like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, so why do you keep writing songs? Well, you keep writing songs for two reasons. One, hope versus reality. 
and two, because that's what you've been doing and that's what you like to do. Do you know Dante Elefante? Yes. Do you like them? Yeah. I like them too. And Ruben is one of the younger, very talented DIY type mm -hmm. guys. Yeah, we had them at uh, KCSB. Probably more than once. Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's booked a show. You know, he's gotten, he's just done well on his own. He has a podcast. He, yeah. He does um, a lot of things. But he asked us at one point, he's like, hey, do you want to put out that tan record on uh, Lollipop Records with some friends of his in LA? Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, sure. And he's, and he's like, well, we'll put it on cassette. And I was like, okay, what? what? I don't get it. And yeah. he's like, well. And the way he said, well, I was like, okay, so cassettes are hip now with a certain group of people. And, and what, that's the vibe that... And, he's, and that's what he said, yeah, that's... And I was like, what do you play him on? He's like, well, <laughs> that's part of the fun. Yeah. Like you go to the thrift store and you buy, and you go, oh, look at this cool cassette I got. And I remember that whole feeling from like, you know, being an indie kid, mm -hmm. like you, you like what other people maybe don't like, mm -hmm. or like it's fun to do this. It's like it's like just buying thrift store clothes mm -hmm. in the eighties was really different. It was like it was, yeah. You know, I mean, that was our image was like thrift yeah. story, yeah. And so was Susie and the Banshees mm -hmm. and the Cure and everybody. You know, like even though we were polar opposites of all that, yeah. But it was the same sort of thing. And do you think it's because, like, with accessibility to these streaming platforms and, and getting your music out there, like, do you think that the market now has just gotten so oversaturated? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that there is a market. I mm. think there's just an oversaturated... It's kind of like this, uh, in London, did you ever go to, like, Brick Hill or any of those, like, kind of like flea market type things? Oh, yeah. So they're huge, right? Yeah. And you can buy all kinds of cool things. Well, the world of music is like a big giant flea market now. Yeah. And you could, you, where you find what you find is anyone's guess sometimes. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people, especially people that are older that like classic rock, go down that rabbit hole all the time. Mm -hmm. They just go back and find more classic rock. The school of rock type things that like a lot of kids went through that are playing like cover versions yeah. that older people will go, have you seen this band? And you're like, uh, yeah. And they're like, they're good, huh? And you're like, yeah, they're, they're good. They're good at what they do. It's like, no, I mean, they're really good. Yeah. Like, they're prepackaging your music and giving it back to you in a youthful way. So they're making you feel young, <laughs> but they don't know they're doing that. They're just fans of the music. But yeah. that is what, how it affects the people that are older that went through it already. You know, when I was in high school, disco sucks was like a mantra. Oh, yeah. I love disco. So do I. <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, I also liked, um, I don't know, when I was growing up, I loved David Bowie and Thin Lizzy oh, yeah. and all those things. So I also liked rock and roll. But, like, so you had to kind of, like, you had, with certain people, you had to choose your... Uh, Who you were going to be. Yeah, are you yeah. disco? Or are you? And it's like... It's not, it's definitely not like that anymore. There are no camps, it's too spread out. But it was kind of funny because you're like, and you know, and you still see, I mean, granted there's a million 80s bands now, but there's still disco bands too, because disco's fun. And now it's nice, at least all of it is kind of melded together. Yeah. That's the model, you know, when we were kids, not kids, but in the 80s, it was like, you, we did a lot on our own and we were good at it. And if we would have been smart enough 
and maybe a little older, we could have kept doing that and we would have ended up in a great place. But we were under the umbrella of, okay, if we do all this stuff, we'll get a record deal, right? And, you know, like, so then you do that all and you get a record deal and then you fail. I mean, where you were being quite successful. Mm -hmm. And our record never even came out. Well, and a lot of the times the record deal is almost a trap. It's like when you think, like, we got to get we were, five albums out of this person and then they, if the fifth one isn't a hit, you know. We were under that trap in terms of thinking that you had to have a record deal. Because you didn't. It's just, just like now. You know, it's just like, what happened recently where it's, you know, it's just like suddenly labels don't matter and nobody is on a record label because why do I need to owe that money to them? There's this kid in LA named Cuco mm. who uh, was just young Latin, kind of heartthrobby, soulful. Did you ever hear the Chicano Batman? Yes. Sounds a little bit like that. Okay. Younger and, and he was managed by a girl who, this was a couple years ago when I saw this article, but she was 23. Mm -hmm. And she just went, oh my God, this guy's great. It took him, and everybody wanted, like labels wanted to sign him. And she's like, why do we want to sign with you? We have a million views on YouTube. It's yeah. like, we did that on our own. Yeah. So that's one thing where you can do more on your own. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it all translates unless you're touring. And, you know, that I thought the internet was going to make it so you didn't have to play anymore. And it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. It's just made it so it's easier Everyone's to get exposure, but you yeah. have to play more. Yeah. And the festival circuit is just a huge... Festivals have just gotten so big now that it's like, if you get on a festival, you're like, you're going to keep going. It's yeah. like, that's the momentum. It's like being being in those spaces where just like the potential of thousands of people to see you is there. Absolutely. And we play at all the festivals around here. Yeah. But it's really hard to get on the other festivals mm -hmm. unless you have a little bit further. And then you have to get, face the fact that after a certain age, I mean, the whole time it's like this, but after a certain age, it gets worse. Not everybody likes to tour. Mm -hmm. Not everybody likes to, you know, I mean, there's a reason why people work eight to five and have weekends off and everything. That suits people more so than the uh, crazy like, oh yeah, okay, I'll go here now and I'll do this and I'll do here this. And people may say things like, wow, you're living the life, you're living the dream, but it's not really everybody's dream. Mm -hmm. And touring's like that too. It's yeah. like not everybody wants to do that. It's not easy. What would be your favorite thing about music right now? Like who's inspiring you right now and maybe future stuff that you're writing or what you're writing right now? Well, it's funny because I started tango dancing a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole nother world that I didn't know. And there's a band... <laughs> There's a band called Romantica Milonguera, right? They're from Argentina. So I just was, you know, looking at tango music and I started hearing them. I was like, oh my God, these guys are fantastic. How does the whole world not know about them? Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking like, how did they write all these songs? And of course, they've taken songs from every era and none of them are their own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just do great versions yeah. of them. And a lot of Latin music is like that where it's like coming, you don't know it because you didn't grow up and hearing all this stuff and it's like oh this was written a long time ago yeah anyway so I'm, I'm influenced influenced by latin music a lot mm -hmm. and then for instance the pogues at one point i'm still influenced by them and just because they were such i think sometimes 
music that was what you really liked between, say, 14 and 22 just never goes away. Mm -hmm. And it, it was such a big part of your life. Everything that influences you further, you don't have it as much in your heart in a way, like as you did when you were a kid. It's the stuff uh, that like kind of inspired you, the people who do go into music inspired you to go into music. Right. It's like, oh, you wanted to be them or you wanted to be like them. Or And it's funny because all old Bowie stuff was my favorite, right? The first five albums. And they, they happened within like such a short span of yeah. time. But it's like, if David Bowie came out today, I feel like he would be on American Idol, be wearing, you know, a suit, yeah. and he'd sing, and everybody would go, what a great voice, and he'd win. And the world would be deprived of all those weird, wacky things. Like, when he died, you, saw, you just, I thought it was kind of amazing, because I was not expecting, that was the first person that died, like Prince was next, but that seemed like they had such a big impact on everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, we were surfers from the Mesa, and we liked him. So mm -hmm. it was like, he was cutting through, like, the weird kids, the normal kids, the everything. Like, and, and not many people do that, mm -hmm. for one. And today, he wouldn't, I don't know that he'd have that opportunity. Like, in an industry way, I think they would take his talent and... He'd, you'd see him on a yeah, Taco Bell commercial yeah. next. <laughs> so you think it was the right time for him to like have those experimental years? I and, think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it was the right... You know, Led Zeppelin at that time, they were like, well, okay, so what would you guys like to do now today? Now that we're inventing heavy metal, what should we do next? <laughs> it's like, how fun would that be? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, no, I'm not inventing anything. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to figure out a way to fit in. Yeah. I mean, even... You know, like the Beatles and the Stones, it was like they were borrowing from everybody, mm -hmm. like Shane McGowan, mm -hmm. like the specials and mm -hmm. English Beat. If you ever hear Prince Buster, do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. All of the special songs are Prince Buster songs. Mm -hmm. I love the specials. I do too. Yeah. Now, especially, like I say with Led Zeppelin, what do you, how do you want to invent heavy metal? It's like... They really could say that because there wasn't, they were inventing it. Mm -hmm. And all the other ones that were with them at the time. Yeah. Like, The Grateful Dead has never been as popular as they are now. And that style of music is just popular. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and... I have a theory that we're like, for musicians and younger musicians, we're in like the age of melancholia where people are trying to like do exactly that, combine like three or four of their biggest influences and that's, that's their sound. My influences have, I mean, I've kind of done that too yeah my influences are just so far from you know they're just all over the place yeah. really that's the other weird thing that can happen with the internet too is like first of all things like journeys don't stop believing i guarantee you those guys never thought well this is going to be like this weird thing that lasts forever it's going to be played at every wedding it's mm -hmm. going to be like it's going to be just so big i think everybody would have been like dude this song's dumb yeah, we've been like, what are you saying? Yeah, but um, but it's cool that it worked out that way, mm -hmm. you know. And like, that's that hope versus reality thing again. You know, mm -hmm. it's like these things can just happen, and you know, it might happen to you. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason it shouldn't. Yeah. To the sea. To the sea. 
If you'd like to read more about Spencer the Gardener, the man about town, check out this week's cover story on www.independent.com. Once again, I'm your host, Molly McEnany. Tune in next week for another episode.